This is The Adam Ritz Show, a public affairs talk show touching on community, health, foundations, and more. The Adam Ritz Show is underwritten by Vibonomics, an audio out-of-home advertising marketplace and audio experience company. Info at Vibonomics.com. And now, from the Vibonomics studios, please welcome your public affairs radio host, Adam Ritz. Welcome aboard. It's the Adam Rich Show. My name is Adam. Jay Baker with me. Jay, do you have a uh, a library card? You know, I do. I love the public library. So that could either make me a nerd or on the cutting edge of society. So the story I'll start with it makes me uh, I'm a, I feel a little guilty. I don't have uh, I don't have a library card. Now I do go to the library. I do enjoy going. Ah. Uh, but I'll just walk in and sort of use the facilities. Um, and I don't mean the you're bathroom. Like sco- you're like a scoff law, aren't you? I don't go there to use the bathroom. I'm not saying that. I, I'm gonna, you know, there's usually a, a nice coffee bar with some Wi-Fi, and it's a great way to place to get some work done. Uh, so now that I've come across a story, I think I need to actually get a public library membership card to support the institution. It's a, you know, I have so many memories of being a. A young man going to the library with my mom growing up. I mean, it's a great institution. We want to support them. And Jay-Z, your friend Jay-Z, is supporting the Brooklyn Public Library uh, during this, I don't know if you knew this, it's the 50th anniversary of hip-hop this year. Did you realize that? I did not know that. I did not. They're saying, uh, and I don't know who they are, but uh, it's sort of the way Labor Day weekend is usually the unofficial end of summer. I think this is the unofficial 50th anniversary of hip-hop. When you look at, um, uh, what, 1973, uh, I guess, was 50 years ago. I don't know what exactly uh, what song it is that they're saying created the genre. I've always heard it was... uh, uh, the Sugar Hill Gang with Gangster's Delight yeah. was the first yeah. hip-hop song. That was in the mid mid to late 80s. Maybe that was... No way yeah, that was I 1973. It, I, There's no way. Yeah, that was called Rapper's Delight. Rapper's Delight. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe that was 1983, possibly. You know what? Let's just... Uh, Let's Google this right now. I'm going to Google it as we speak. It's all blurring together. Now, you're going to laugh, but when I first heard hip-hop, I really, really, really liked it a lot. And it's altered over the years. You know, now it's a little more glossy, a little more profane, if you will, a little more aggressive. There's some early hip-hop was, I thought was, was very endearing and i know that sounds like such a non-hip phrase you know okay so rapper's delight came out in 1980 okay which was um what uh that's 43 years ago and they're calling it the first rap song i'm gonna google first hip-hop song yeah, supposedly uh, the style hip hop was developed for street parties and things like that, if I'm not mistaken. Because, you know, being friends with Jay Z, you know, it's incumbent upon me to remain ultra hip. Uh, you know, I, th- these, you and I are maybe the two uh, coolest cats uh, in America to be talking about the history of hip hop. 
I think we should maybe develop a university course that you can take online. That's how hip we are and cutting edge. All right, maybe we should have done a little more research on this before we just started. <laughs> this particular I, topic. Now, you and I can talk ad nauseum about the the public uh, library system in America, but oh. hip-hop maybe isn't our thing. Here's a, a note I found that um, 1970, there was a, a rap record uh, made by the Last Poets. So that was 53 years ago. Um, uh-huh. Somewhere, somehow, somebody in Brooklyn has decided that this year is the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. Uh, and I did read, uh, now that I mention it, now that I'm saying this out loud, there is a huge hip-hop concert in Yankee Stadium, which is in Brooklyn, celebrating the 50th anniversary of of the genre so uh there well, is some there you go. there's something to it and if you're into hip-hop you know what i'm talking about with that huge Lollapalooza-esque uh music festival at yankee stadium this year uh with the hip-hop genre so back to jay-z what he's done with the uh, brooklyn public library is uh he he's put together or partnered with them to put together jay-z themed library cards that have sparked oh, cool. interest uh, in the public library memberships in Brooklyn. So there are 13 limited edition library cards with artwork from Jay-Z albums. And this initiative, up till the airing of this show, has already resulted in 14,000 new library accounts at the Brooklyn Public Library. How about that? Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, I I can't say enough about the public library. So if you already know about it, support it. If you don't, then get involved. And I can't say enough about hip hop. If if you don't know that much about it, get involved. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, as I said, I thought the original, I thought the original hip hop and rap was 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 pretty good. And I'm not saying it's not today, but you know what I mean about it. it's a little more aggressive now. So, uh, what you know, back in the day, what are you talking? Run DMC and uh, Aerosmith working together is that what got your attention? Yeah, and you know, and artists like LL Cool J and stuff. I just uh, and Public Enemy and some of those artists that people really enjoyed and you and i talked about a surprise hit film that people didn't realize about the guys that did the album straight out of compton Mm -hmm. known as nwa on the west coast and their biopic was actually a huge 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 film which said to me that a lot of people enjoyed early hip-hop it's it was you know i was in i graduated from high school in 88 to date me and uh that was the era when this stuff was really hitting oh yeah and uh yeah there's there's so many uh the the way it uh, affected fashion and culture and uh now as we embark on the 50th anniversary of hip-hop uh it's, it's an amazing part of the american fabric uh, you know these these uh, Jay Z library cards. There's 13 of them, and they're allowing you to collect all 13, but only one of them can be active. So if you do happen to get all 13 Jay Z library cards, make sure you have the right one when you actually go to the library. I know that's oh. that's something well, you're going to need go. to know. <laughs> that's that's going to be good to know. Yes. 
my public library is vastly uh, simpler than I'm sure the New York City Library, which probably has a lot of rules, bylaws, and different things. So, yeah. I, I was wondering if 14,000 new library accounts have been made from the Jay-Z library card, uh, I wonder how many accounts would have been opened if it was Beyonce on the card. Well, it does beg the question, I, doesn't it? Uh, but you, you could also argue that most Beyonce fans are already members of the library, whereas Jay-Z fans maybe weren't. Yeah, and that's just a guess. That, there was no yeah. no social meeting behind that guess, just a guess. Uh, I, th- I think Beyonce fans might be more well-read. That's all I'm saying. Could, could possibly <laughs> be. There you go. Hey, you know, uh, you, of course, are an unabashed sports fan. Many people that listen to this show are big sports fans. And you probably have been a bit surprised at all the regrouping of these different conferences and collegiate sports. And I'm referring specifically to the Big Ten, uh, but the Big Ten is an example of, I guess, many of the leagues now are shifting, changing members. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, the Big Ten now is going to have 18 teams, which is somewhat comical because, of course, the name is... Big Ten, eighteen teams in the Big Ten. I, you know, when they when they teams. expanded from ten to eleven, uh, everybody was like, "How are the what, it's still called the Big Ten? All, all they did was they changed the logo, <laughs> so there was like a hidden number eleven inside the logo. Right? Yeah, uh, it kind of was a mystery eleven. Yeah. And I think that eleventh team was just was Penn State, and they were the lone add-on for several years before they opened it up to. Uh, the next three, Rutgers, Maryland, and Nebraska. It's been 14 for a while. And now yeah, a bunch of West Coast teams. You're saying it's 18 teams now? It's going to be 18. Oregon and Washington are the newest additions. And then USC and UCLA will depart the Big 12 to join the Big 10. And that will happen in August of 2024. So I thought that was kind of interesting, especially with USC and UCLA, those were such big staples of the West Coast, a la Pac-12. It really, you know, these names are very defying now as to which teams. And if you were in a trivia contest, could you track all these teams and which conferences they're in? Because I don't think I could. Not today. No. Yeah, I'd have to get used to it. Uh, so they were asking the Big Ten office, Uh, If you've got 18 teams, how will that affect your scheduling? Uh, Apparently, they're not that concerned. They said that uh, their elements of most important games, frequency of matchups will be maintained. There will eventually need to be some adjustments, including potentially moving from a nine-game conference scheduled a 10 which doesn't seem that extreme for adding that many teams i don't think the iu rutgers football game is going to be the big 10 game of the week not with uh, it will not be the big game of the week you had the big 10 powerhouses anyway and now you're going to throw in oregon and usc and ucla i mean it's it's just uh sorry uh to the low level big 10 teams uh you're you're not going to get much airtime. 
we've always pointed out that uh, you know that these notable universities, uh, if you have a great football team, you rarely have a great basketball team or vice versa. And basketball and football tend to be the two big highlighted sports. Uh, though Rutgers has an amazing men's cross country team, and a lot of people don't know that. Well, I'm impressed that uh, somehow you did know that. Can you imagine? I just have to know, how did you know that? They are giant slayers, my friend. Those are some very fast guys. You throw them on a golf course, you yell go, you wait about 40 minutes, you look up, you award a winning trophy. I mean, that's that's what cross country is all about. You know, Jay, I've known you for over 25 (laughs) years. And just today, I've learned that you are a hip-hop fan and a Rutgers fan cross-country fan (laughs) and i like to combine those two every weekend when i visit rutgers university (laughs) it's fun hey here's a kind of a wacky law and it makes sense but this is an interesting look at uh, how laws attempt to protect us a new law in south carolina will allow students to have sunscreen Believe it or not. There's a law that says up until now that you could not have sunscreen? No. If you lived in South Carolina, you weren't allowed to have sunscreen because uh, they said that the law existed because sunscreen is an FDA-regulated over-the-counter drug, which had to be taken to a school nurse who was in charge of applying it to a student in need of sun protection. So that was the old law. Oh, that's, that's, that makes sense, the way you describe it like that. Yeah. I don't and know if now, it's like that in the other 49 states. You can't have that law in, the, you know, in southern Florida where you're not allowed to bring sunscreen to school. Yeah. Now, before, you used to have to have a doctor's note, and you had to provide the sunscreen, and the school nurse needed to be in on it and everything. And you had to have red hair. Yes, you did. You had to have that uh, (laughs) strawberry complexion that the sun just loves to bake, you know. So, uh, But, yeah, so now good news. uh, If you're a student in South Carolina, you can uh, safely apply your own sunscreen. Well, it's good to know in this uh, current uh, political climate with all the division that we can all get together and agree on the sunscreen law. Yeah, I think so. I think this is – our uh, our legislature doing some good work for good people. You'll love this. Uh, you know, you and I love to talk about different states and retirement and, you know, what states are the kind of states that are reaching out and trying to really build uh, great bases in. But uh, Florida, according to a new survey, is no longer the best state to retire in for a long time you know florida had a number of pluses i think no state income tax is that accurate i believe that is yeah that's correct and of course you know uh, in general uh you had a lot of retired people in general you usually have some pretty good weather in florida most of the year Mm -hmm. so that it used to be way on top but they uh compared states on cost of living, quality of health care, safety, well-being, and weather, and came up with new states that are these states to retire in. And number one, I think will surprise most people. 
Well, if the the one thing that stands out to me with what you just said was is weather, and maybe that's I'm biased because that's what I'm looking for when I retire. I do not want yeah. to be cold ever again, so I would I'm just going to lean towards Arizona. See, and that's not a, a bad state weather-wise at all. And you and I know there's been a strong national trend for people that move to uh, states like Tennessee because, you know, when you talk about weather, sometimes you worry about the tropical storms that are in Florida on occasion. So you say, hey, Tennessee, I can enjoy a milder climate. Uh, it's a good state to live in. Uh, it's more Midwest oriented than perhaps the South would be. Uh, but yeah, I would vote for Arizona exactly. But Iowa came in first. <laughs> you don't really stop and think that Iowa might be a great state to retire to. That might have been my 48th guess. I would have I, been I, mine as well. I can't well. believe it. Now, when you say Tennessee, I, you know, I'm leaning towards, okay, I you say Arizona, Florida, you're talking weather extremes. So in the summer, Arizona and Florida are unbearable in the summer they're, with the they're summer no fun. heat. Yeah. So yeah, Tennessee, I, they have mild winters and uh, you know the extreme uh, summers are certainly not as hot as the deep south. So South Carolina, North Carolina, I know those also some great weather. Georgia is certainly hot in the summer, but not as, uh, not as hot as Southern Florida or Arizona. And uh, yeah, but you throw Iowa into the mix. I'm still f- feeling uh, five degree temperature in, in the in February, maybe lower. Um, it might be a little chilly, yes. Uh, but but you're saying okay. What are the other factors? Cost of living, healthcare, yes. uh, hospitals. Yes, uh, affordability is high affordability. there. Lower lower housing costs because you know once again you, you don't think of a lot of people knocking down the Iowa State welcome here sign to get into the state, but it's also home to an awful lot of retirees. 20% of the state's residents are at least 65 years old. So Iowa, kind of a mecca for those that are thinking about retiring. Well, if you don't like pro sports, Iowa is for you. I don't think there's a, a football or pro basketball team in Iowa. Uh, you've just no. got the high, the Hawkeyes and the Cyclones. That's what you can do. Yeah, you um, you best enjoy college sports if you move to Iowa. You know, I think the uh, cost of living. You know, when you're talking about retirement, I think in the old days, especially in my head, I'm an old, I'm an old guy now. I'm th- when I'm thinking retirement, I'm thinking uh, about spending my winters in Florida, which means I maintain my home up north. Right. So in today's uh, economic climate, the thought of having two homes might be too much for a lot of people, uh, including myself. Now that uh, you know the economy has gone where it's gone, so maybe instead of owning one house in Florida where I'm going to bake and cook in July and August and September. Uh, you do a little research, you find out there's an affordable house in a nice area of Iowa. <laughs> the summers are nice. Uh, sure, the change of season, season is wonderful. The fall, the springtime, the only, if you can bite your lip and get through the three months of winter when it's five degrees, you'll be okay. Yes. Buy a very nice coat and think about Iowa, as we like to say. Number two is Delaware, which offers low taxes, 
high quality health care. And then the third might surprise people, West Virginia, which rates high for affordability and low taxes. I am just beside myself on this list. Iowa, Delaware, and West Virginia are the top three spots that people are retiring. Yeah, this was uh, based on quality of health care, safety, well-being, and weather. Do you so have the, uh, very interesting. the full list there? What number is Florida now? Uh, well, uh, I do not have the full list here. I just have the bottom of the list. It's Alaska, which makes it the worst state to retire in. It's 50th overall, 50th for weather, 49th for crime and 43rd for affordability. So you don't think of Alaska as having a crime issue, but apparently they do. Yeah, 49th for crime. I mean, those those bears up there are mean. The bears, those moose, they the, are the, out of control. The meese up there, a lot of meese assault. Moose yes, assault. They're, they're, They'll sometimes get in a gang, those meese mooses, and they're uncontrollable. If you do want to check, the company is called that did this uh, survey is called Bank Rate. So if you look up B-A-N-K-R-A-T-E, you can get the full listings and see where, because yeah, I'm with you, you know, we always sort of have our... Uh, you know, our, our, our favorites. And I think you and I would both agree that Florida, uh, because you and I got the opportunity to travel to Florida when we were much younger. And of course, if you were like me, you were amazed that it could be 10 degrees in Indianapolis and 70 degrees in Florida. Yeah. Oh. All at this on the same day. That's where I'm going to retire. Count on it. Beaches, uh, the weather, the ocean, boating, uh, the yacht rock lifestyle, as I call yep. it. That's uh, that's all about uh, my future, for sure. When you're swimming in the ocean on Christmas Day, you go, this is a little bit of paradise. I'm wondering if that study uh, that you just said uh, was by who now? Well, it was by a company called Bankrate, and they kind of look at, uh, I think that they probably are a mortgage provider without delving into it more. They are. I bet they're a mortgage provider based in Iowa. (laughs) (laughs) And they want to sell some houses. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it is funny. Whenever there's these surveys, you know, uh, we live in a state where, we got dinged for a couple weeks on social media because we showed up at the bottom of quote unquote some news companies survey on great places to live and we showed up closer to the bottom than the top so everybody was going half crazy for two weeks you know that's the lifespan Mm -hmm. of any good social media story but i chuckled i anybody that said anything to me i said just please consider the source of said survey and it was conducted by a news agency so their audience has a certain tilt or bias if you will they all do we don't want to you know belabor that but bottom line is i always say consider the sources on these i'm sure iowa is mighty fine but as you said you know is it the absolute best place to retire to once you get nuts without having a pro team in your state we don't know well, cost of living and uh, the yes. other factors might go into it. I know um, population might be a factor. I, I know, you know, Florida is getting packed, and if you if you're looking at South Florida and the Miami area, it's going to take you, you know, forty nine minutes just to go get milk. 
down yeah. the street. For, so if yeah, you live in Iowa, and, you're a you're a 20 minute drive from anything you want. I'm a big fan of sort of tracking real estate prices, and as you said. Uh, you know, the housing affordability has really, uh, the landscape has altered. Uh, higher mortgage rates are affecting that as well. But most areas that are great to live in have expensive real estate. It mm-hmm. kind of one follows the other. Here's an interesting thing. No matter where you live, a new survey says saying hello to your neighbors is linked to higher well-being. I believe that. 10,000%. Yes. The Gallup people who do all kinds of polls say that American adults who regularly greet more than one neighbor have better well-being than those that don't say hello or just greet uno neighbor. I have a, a, a personal testimony to share with you, Jay, along this topic. I, uh, I would love to hear it. I, so I've lived in the same uh, home since 2005. And the my next-door neighbor, sh- she has lived there since I've moved in. And up until about eight weeks ago, we have never spoken a word. It's the oddest thing, Jay. I've uh, mm. Now she's, uh, you know, bless her heart, she's, she's elderly. Uh She's, I'm assuming, a little paranoid, uh, set in her ways, a hermit somewhat. And uh, I think in maybe in 2006, I saw her at the mailbox. I said hi, and she ignored me and walked back into her house. And that's the last time we had any exchange. And it's just the oddest thing. And it's every single neighbor in our cul-de-sac has the same experience. And about eight weeks ago, uh, I saw her in her yard, and you know, since she's elderly, uh, I attempted a conversation to to check up on her because I think it was right when we first had some hot temperatures for yes. at the beginning of the summer. And I just I I don't think she has air conditioning. I just wanted to check on her. I didn't know how she's getting her groceries, and I'm like, uh, I said hello, and she we had a 20 minute conversation, and she was so friendly. And I don't have any idea what happened over these last uh, 18 years or so where we haven't spoken at all. But we had a great conversation. She thanked me for uh, offering to help with with groceries. She said she had it covered. And I've seen her about four times since uh, in her driveway or, you know, in the garage. And I've stopped in to say hi and check on her. And she's doing great. And it's it has certainly helped uh, my well-being to know that I've uh, I'm on speaking friendly terms with my neighbor. Yeah, I mean, I think it pays uh, excellent benefits. I didn't know that until we had, you know, a survey survey that pointed out, you know, that it does promote well-being. But you're right. There's some satisfaction to that. You had some persistence. As you said, you could have allowed that one meeting to be like the definitive meeting. I know I have been distracted and or not in the best of moods. And I'm sure I came off in a, you know, greeting from across the yard as, What's wrong with that guy, you know? I am positive your neighbors um, are afraid of you. Oh, sure. <laughs> with your big, There's no doubt. Your big voice. Hit them with the big voice. You know, they want to go get their mail, but they see you at your mailbox, so they're like, oh, we're going to wait until he goes back inside. Who are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I, I get to talk to the neighbors a whole lot more now because the guy next to me started grilling more and my dog is fascinated because A, it smells good and B, lots of stuff's going on in his backyard. So for my dog, it's like Netflix, you know? <laughs> it's, the best, it's the best show a dog can watch. Yeah. Hi, Frank. Hey, don't worry. The dog's staring at you, but you'll be fine. <laughs> Hey, we're going to finish up. This is a heartwarming story. Nestle Company is testing a machine that will make DiGiorno pizza on demand. Really? And yeah, they're planning to put this as a pizza vending machine. Uh, the kiosk, which looks a lot like a Redbox DVD rental machine, allows consumers to order either a cheese or pepperoni pizza. The cost is $9.00. And it's delivered through a slot in the machine, ready to eat in three minutes. That is why pizza is shaped the way it is. So it could fit through a slot in a vending machine. <laughs> I love it. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. They've actually launched uh, a couple of these. They tried one at a Colorado Walmart in April. And they did another one at a company facility in Ohio where it develops frozen food. So they've kind of tried it on their own employees. Now they surveyed a hundred customers that use the machine. 95% of them believed the pizza was a pretty good value. And another 92% said that they see themselves buying another pizza in the future from that, that same kiosk. Doesn't the hot cheese, though, get stuck to the roof of the vending machine? <laughs> I, I think it comes out in a way that you can handle it because you're right. It's that like that old joke about, you know, when you're burning the roof of your mouth. Oh, my gosh. It's like, let it cool off. I cannot wait to see the pizza vending machine in, in my neighborhood. Three, I'm three minutes and $9 away from happiness. All right, Jay Baker, awesome stuff. Thanks for joining us today. For our listeners, you can uh, re-listen to this show in podcast form on our website or any of our previous shows. Just head to adamritzshow.com. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live in studio at the Vibonomics Worldwide Headquarters. Learn more about the Vibonomics Audio Out of Home Marketplace at vibonomics.com. For information on this broadcast, including past on-demand episodes, interview submissions, and syndication contacts, visit adamritzshow.com.